Broadcasting live from weird ghost Peter Cushing, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. And I'm your other host, Garrett Strother. And before we get into all of the weird CGI hijinks that our main segment, Star Wars Rogue... Wait, no, it's Rogue One, a Star Wars story? I'm already messing it up, Star Jesus Christ. Star Wars, a Rogue One story. <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly what I remembered it as, yeah. Before we get into that main segment, before all that, I think we should dive into a little bit of news. We got a few updates on some things we've been keeping track of, and a, a few a few new updates that we're going for right now. Well, this is and this is the first one of these we've talked about in a while, which is we've got an R.I.P. up top, which is Jean Luc Godard, renowned French filmmaker, has died at ninety one. Uh, I know you and I are both students of the French New Wave, Seamus, and that's mm. something we're going to talk about a little bit more during our pop culture reference, but Godard has always been kind of a controversial figure to me in terms of, I think, a lot of his films are powerful, but I also think he overshadows and gatekeeps a lot of the other filmmakers mm. in the New Wave, or who he doesn't even consider to be in the New Wave, plus there's a lot of, like anti-semitism and other oh, stuff that i whoa, won't get into I, probably here, i but. was unaware of that actually but okay that's good to know post-mortem but you, I, I basically what i was asking is what are your what are your thoughts on jean-luc godard because we he's not a figure we've ever really talked about i mean i'm i'm a fan of his work like many other french new wave filmmakers i i find myself getting lost in in it all and and just enjoying so much of the absurdity i I, I think uh, Weekend is one of the best, weirdest pieces of art I've ever seen. I I, I, I would say that I'm a fan of his work. I guess I, <laughs> I didn't know so much about his personal stuff. Uh, it's 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 complicated. I, I feel like I was a little myopic by just kind of being like, oh, it's <laughs> Um, Some of his mm. art can come off a little... Like, he's trying to say stuff, and it's not always articulated as well as I think it probably could be. Sure, sure. His contribution to what we appreciate in a lot of modern cinema today, I think, it, it comes from him and a lot of the people that he, he worked with and worked around. Absolutely, yeah. Well, speaking of filmmakers who are more influenced by the French New Wave... Warner warning! Oh, oh god, everybody run! It's coming! I don't know. I don't remember how long it lasts, but maybe it's still going. Who knows? It can last as long as, as we want it. That's to. true. It's still going it right now. Yeah. yeah it's, oh, it's still true. going, ongoing. Shabas, you can just turn that off. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, click. There we go. All right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Steven Soderbergh. His movie Magic Mike's Last Dance, which was supposed to be going straight to HBO Max, is now moving to theaters this February. I am so curious about and that's a funny word about these movies i'm very curious about these magic mike <laughs> movies i've never seen a single one i've i've heard such yeah i've obviously all the memes about them it's just like really hardcore very sexual dancing a lot of just gratuitous male body shots or whatever like that's sure but i've also i've heard from so many people whose film opinions i respect in including yours i think that including th mine these movies are very well done and and a lot more than what they seem and i maybe this is my last this is my last dance to get myself into the theater to see one on the big screen before they're out of there i, I think this is my opportunity now that they've switched it over I've only seen the first 
Magic Mike, which is the only one until this one that Soderbergh directed because he didn't want to do Magic Mike 2 because that's when he was like done directing for a mm-hmm. while because he was so done with the studio system, but he did DP it. And a lot of people say that he still had a pretty heavy influence on the second one as a whole. They say it's better, which is kind of crazy. Cause yeah, I that's think an that insane thing. Because it's like, how can... I don't know, I was like, I feel like they did the good version of Magic Mike when they did Magic... Like, Matt Bomer's there, Alex Ryder is there, um, Matthew McConaughey... Um, <laughs> really? What's his name? Who's married to Sofia Vergara? Flash from the from, from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Um, oh right, name Joe Ma- Joe Magnoliano. Yeah, or, that Italian yeah. guy. It's a good movie. We should we should watch those together. Question mark. <laughs> Sitting on the opposite side of the couch, <laughs> just trying not to make eye contact. I'm in. I'm in. Long story short, excited for Soderbergh to be back on the big screen. Very curious about what Magic Mike's last dance is going to entail. If that is some kind of double entendre, maybe. And then also, I'm excited to watch two. So, XXL. As yes, of course. I, I'm in for it. We're going to have ourselves a hell of a time. That's a great movie. Anyway, okay, this is the rec center. This is, <laughs> this is Kihi Kwan joins Loki season yes, two. Yes, dude. What a what a fun thing. I'm so happy that he Kihi Kwan is back. He's coming, he, this is like two for two major multiverse time jumping things in a row, I guess. But I mean, like, he was really good in everything everywhere, so I'm not complaining. Which I'm sure you probably already know this, that Daniels was offered Loki and they turned it down. Oh my god, go I actually didn't know that. Everything everywhere, so. Wow, Kihi Kwan is getting the best of both worlds, Hannah Montana style out here. He's he's jumping back and forth. I, I think that, I mean, I guess we don't really know what his deal is in the show yet, obviously, but to have him be some frazzled TVA agent would be a dream. That's exactly what I want. I yeah, mean, that's, him and Pillboy have their yes! own adventure. Oh my god, separate. dude, I, I am very, very excited for that. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe he'll be some kind of interesting variant. I I hope it's it's more than what Pillboy got to do, even though Pillboy's stuff was so awesome and funny. But I'm hoping he's. I feel he's, like he he's big enough now. Yes, it's like I, they made an announcement of this. It's not like when Pillboy was on. Like, oh my God, it's Pillboy, you know. <laughs> D23 News. The quote is Pillboy joins Loki season one. I'm like who, who? What? Oh man. Uh, oh dip. That's oh, actually dip. the headline. Oh, dip. <laughs> oh, dip. Oh, that's very funny. But other MCU stuff that got released to D23 that you and I are both excited about, there's a new MCU Halloween special that will be the first directorial effort of famed composer Michael Giacchino behind such immaculate classics as The Incredibles and spider-man and sky high not the sam raimi spider-man the mcu spider-man <laughs> um and i think the doctor strange theme question mark maybe maybe because he's not danny elfman did two but i think he did one and it's gonna be called werewolf by night i watched the trailer i don't understand how this is an mcu thing really at all yeah i mean me neither I, I didn't see the trailer i saw a lot of uh, screenshots and a lot of people picking out like oh look it's this weird obscure old character that's gonna be in it and i mean if that's all it is it's just like hey let's get super weird and obscure and spooky black and white like i've been begging them to do for years like uh, that's it that that'll be maybe one of the only things that'll make me care about the 
MCU more. I mean, God knows how much it's really going to tie in to it. Like, there's going to be a... Uh, one of the monsters is going to be a scroll in disguise or whatever. Like, oh, I don't know. I really hope they don't do I, something I like that. I can't imagine that they... Uh, I can't imagine that they would. I, I, I misspoke there. I definitely can see them doing some dumb stuff like that, but... I mean, I, I'm interested. It's cool looking. It's black and white. They're doing. It's like old monster movie style stuff. I'm. I'll give it a shot. It's. It's. It's oh. no League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but I mean, it, it. It'll. It'll. It'll do something for me. Of all the things for them to actually stand by, the whole like it's X, but it's in the MCU. The fact that they're like it's a '50s B movie, but it's in the MCU. Is this is the seemingly the one that's gonna stick? Of the one that's straight to Disney Plus Halloween yeah, special know. directed by Michael Giacchino. <laughs> it's it's so weird when you say it all at once like that. It, but it looks interesting and formally fun. It's, you know, because they love to say that it's a heist movie, but in the MCU it's a horror movie, but in the MCU, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. MCU and they've never meant it. But it seems like they maybe mean it now. So, but speaking of scrolls, which you said like a billion years ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. The Secret Evasion trailer was released at D23, and I hate to say it, but it looks really good, and I'm gonna have to watch it, and I hate myself, because it also probably means I'm gonna have to catch up on a bunch of stuff that I haven't watched. I was thinking the exact same thing, dude. We're gonna have to hold each other accountable, almost marathon style, to be like, alright, we got, in order, since we've dropped off, we gotta watch Eternals, Miss Marvel... We gotta watch... There's another movie, right? Uh, Thor. Thor. Jesus Christ. Yeah, Thor. (laughs) Forgot about the biggest thing in the world. Isn't there another show besides Miss Marvel 2? Well, She-Hulk is out. Oh, God, right, She-Hulk. didn't finish Moon Knight. Oh, God, Moon Knight! I feel like... Here's the thing, though. I'm like, does any of that stuff really have to do with scrolls? Dude, you know it's gonna... You know it's gonna matter. You know it's gonna matter. Wait, is Secret, Secret Invasion is a show? Secret Invasion's a show. Okay, okay. So, even though it looks like a movie, that's part of the Yeah, right? It. It looks that's like what I'm a saying. Kind of like how Andor looks like a movie. And it's like, wow, we could have been doing this the whole time. Ah, oh, man, if only. If only because, the, the care would be put into it. So, that'll be interesting yeah, to see we're, what We're goes screwed. On. Yeah, we have to. Because I, I agree with you. I, yeah, watching that trailer, I was very taken by it. It looks really cool. Sam Jackson... I, I, I kind of dropped this on you before. There's a couple different eye variations. I mean, yeah. probably a few scroll fakeouts, more than one throughout the season, I'm sure. But, you know, I'm I'm in for it. I, I think it's it's pretty cool looking. I, I It almost has a tone of uh, a Falcon and the Winter Soldier, kind of a little more grounded, but it's going to have that middle ground of the, the extra sci-fi injection of all the, the scrolls going on there. Yeah, I am interested. We'll and maybe watch this week to week. Maybe we're kind of getting back into that idea on the show, and I mean... We are, because Andor seems like that's the what we're going to do, and we're going to be doing National Treasure that way, yeah. and it's, it's all, we're back to Disney Plus, Seamus. Crap, they got us. They tricked us, they... Garrett. We didn't know. We should, How could we have known that these were all Disney properties? How could we have known? Uh, <laughs> if only we listened to a pop culture podcast that could tell us about things that we might not know about the entertainment industry. Ah, uh, if only such a such a show existed, Garrett. Anyway, so there was some video game news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. Oh, um, gosh. First up, the Nintendo Direct, or a Nintendo Direct happened during this big week of video game news right now and announced the sequel to Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom, coming out on May 12th. 
I did not play the the first one there. Uh, I'm a big Legend of Zelda guy, like classic style. You know, your your N64s, your Nintendo DSs, your your old little kid stuff back in the day. But I've heard nothing but how good Breath of the Wild is, and I can't imagine they're going to slow down from there. They've kind of hit their perfection on Zelda stuff, so it'll be interesting to see where the second one goes. I have a, a Switch light gathering dust in my apartment that'll, that'll you know, somebody will have to break out sometime. I also did not play Breath of the Wild. I'm very interested in playing it. I do not have a Switch light gathering dust for me to play it on, but... Tears of the Kingdom sounds sounds a little. I don't know how the first one ends, but Tears of the Kingdom sounds a little bit uh sad. Sad sounds sad to me, man. I don't know. I mean, it, I I know the gameplay and how they built the entire world of Breath of the Wild is like a a lot less handholdy. I I guess the Legend of Zelda games have never been particularly handholdy, but like the new one was hard. Like it, it was like a real RPG where you needed to like really strategize and time things out and. I, I can only imagine this new one is going to be a little darker now that the, the adult audience is truly the ones who are, are clamoring for this next Zelda game. But things that you do like and keep up with, Seamus, yes. happened at the PlayStation State of Play. There were there were new looks at God of War and Tekken 8 and stuff that we aren't going to talk about right now or care about, frankly, some of it. But I know that Like a Dragon Inshin which is a remake of a old Japan-exclusive Yakuza game coming out in February, is something that is right up my boy Seamus Connolly's alley. Oh, you absolutely know it, dude. I, I watched that um, I watched that state of play, hoping for a little bit of Metal Gear action. I know I was... I, whatever. I'm not going to go there again, but that... <laughs> you did this last week. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm still thinking about it, man. Still thinking about it. But this Like a Dragon Inshin looked... So kick-ass. I'm still fairly early into the Yakuza games right now. I'm just starting Yakuza 0, the, which is the third one I'm, I'm playing. There's like seven of them right now. And they're all, as far as I know, the ones I've played are spectacular. They're so funny and weird and so fun to play gameplay-wise for like a, a, like a kung fu brawler style thing. And this new one is like samurai cowboy era where they're just, like, slotting in the known characters, or I guess it might be their ancestors or something. It looks like a blast. I, I think it's very cool looking. I'll definitely play that. I mean, after I catch up with the seven other Yakuza slash Judgment games that are in the same thing. Well, now isn't the franchise officially going to be yes. called Like a Dragon? Like a Dragon, US? yes, which makes sense. I mean, most of those games are more about... The guy, Kazuma, Kiru Kazuma is the guy, and he his whole thing is, like, the dragon style. He's got the big dragon back tattoo. And it, it feels like they gravitate less towards the actual Yakuza storylines as they go down. So I think this is this is straight on board. I, I'm good with it. And if they keep making weird, wacky remakes of stuff I never even heard of before, like the Samurai Cowboy one, then I'm, I'm going to keep playing it forever. I'm glad to hear it. But speaking of remakes... Yes, another thing I feel incredibly man. passionate about. Uh, the Resident Evil 4 remake uh, is coming in March. Official announcement on that. And I'm still I'm still wary about it, Garrett. I re The original Resident Evil 4 was such a pivotal moment in the Resident Evil franchise back in the day, like 2006 or whatever that came out for the PS2. I'm just still not entirely sold on the concept of a remake 
of that game. There, there's so many other Resident Evils that deserve a remake in a way that makes them like playable in any way or like more <laughs> fun in any way. A lot of the old ones that have just been lost to time will just remain that way more or less. And the original, or I guess I suppose the HD remaster of Resident Evil 4 is is great. It's incredible. It's, I would say, nearly perfect in terms of a survival horror experience, but I don't know. I'm, I'm still cautiously optimistic. The trailer looked interesting. I just feel like there's not going to be enough to do in terms of remaking it, per se, that I, I feel compelled enough that it should be happening at all. I have almost no Resident Evil experience, <laughs> and even I know that 4 is, like, the definitive Resident Evil... Yes, exactly. So one of the best games of its era that you can still play today and holds up. That's everything I've ever heard about it. Yeah, it's, um, it's true. I know you're not a huge horror game person, I think. You're, you're, but I, I would. It's I, not that I wouldn't. It's, it's so good, man. You really Resident, should give it a shot. Resident Evil is daunting to me just because it's such a weird franchise. Yeah, yeah. You, you could, you know, you could pull out the Resident Evil 2 remake that came out a few years ago, and you'd That's be right the one on, I'm man. most interested in, it's, I think. It's great. It's scary as hell, and you don't need to know Jack, really, about the lore behind it all, because it is a lot to, to take in, and I, sp- I think especially with this new Resident Evil 4 remake, they're going to pile on the retcon justifications because, man, oh, man, I I feel like that's the only reason that they would make uh, this game over again. Like you said, it's the thing that everybody goes to in terms of, like, I it's the perfect game. I could think of another reason, Seamus. What, what is that, Garrett? What, what other reason? Money, Seamus. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's why. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but I, uh, I guess there's some, even Code Veronica X, which was, I believe, originally supposed to be Resident Evil 4 or Resident Evil 3. It's incredible. It's maybe one of the best ones they have, and it's stuck on, like, fixed camera angle, tank controls, old PS2 era everything, and I don't know. They could make a lot of money doing that. They, they keep churning out the remakes now. I, I feel a little stunted, especially because Resident Evil Village, which is the last canonical mainline game that they've made, which fell a little flat for me in the story department, so I don't know. I'm still very on the on the fence about this one. So yeah, um, I wish there was more video game news that I cared about in that giant pile of stuff. Yeah, I know. All of the things here I would 100% recommend to you if they weren't smack dab in the middle of a thousand games of a franchise. So uh, you're off the hook on these ones. Ah, that is good to hear. That is very good to hear. (laughs) So let's go ahead and move smack dab to the middle of the Star Wars franchise. Let's do it. For today's main segment, we are covering Rogue One, a Star Wars story, in preparation for the upcoming Andor Disney Plus series. It's I've had an interesting experience with it, because I saw it, I think I saw it twice in the theater when it came out, and I was not wild about it. And a couple years ago, essentially over COVID, mm. I watched it a few times, and... I really got taken with it. Like, I th- all of the problems, or m- m- most, big giant capital <laughs> M most of the problems I had with it kind of washed away for me. And I really enjoy it. I think it's top half of that franchise, no problem for me. Oh, yeah. And I actually, when they re-released it in IMAX a couple weeks ago, s- straight up went and saw it. 
Yeah, I'm. I wish I got to see it in IMAX with you, dude. I think I love this movie so much. I did get to view the 4K version on Disney Plus, which was a really. It was a really bizarre way to see a lot of the um, CGI characters in their in their glory in all of the frames that I could muster. I, I think <laughs> it might have been better in the theater, probably a lot better in IMAX. Yeah, I think I think we'll technically have to talk about those characters a little bit more in spoilers. <laughs> right, yes. Um, even though I don't really think it's that big of a spoiler thing, but in, anyone who hasn't seen Rogue One, I don't know why you're listening to this show, to be honest. <laughs> um, this definitely seems to be the most well-liked, certainly non-divisive of the Star Wars Disney films. I would say that it is the best of the Star Wars Disney films, and I know you're going to push back with The Last Jedi, and I, I completely understand, but... I think I think it takes the cake for me. I, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. I think it's the second best of the Star Wars <laughs> films. It's, I think we have that... me and you. We have a little flip flop of uh, I think those first two, and that's okay. That's okay. I'll say this: it's the most consistent of them. I do think, in general, the lows of Last Jedi are a little bit lower for me, probably, but the highs are way mm. higher. I think too, even though the third act of this movie, not to get too ahead of ourselves and not to get into spoiler territory, is. Like, the best 45 minutes of Star Wars It, it truly ever. is. Like, it's so good. I think a big part of this movie that I've changed my opinion on over the years is when I first saw it, I felt like the characters felt really flat and one-dimensional. And I think the greatest service that can be done to Rogue One is to not go in with any expectations of a Star Wars movie. Because I think when you think of it as a space opera epic installment mm. of the star wars franchise the only non-legacy character i'll say it that way that really connects is krennic because he feels so consistent mm -hmm. with what we've seen from the empire and i actually think that he's one of the strongest parts of this film overall because not only is ben mendelson a tremendous actor but the way that that character is written to show you that even the empire even those who are in the Empire are ultimately diminished and reduced by the Empire. There is no loyalty among mm -hmm. among these people. Yeah, you know, even the Empire is eating itself alive on the inside, even though they've got their nice clothes and their big space station and all that. I think Krennic is a really strong character. I think he's one of the strongest additions to the Imperial lineup, especially since Disney bought it. But then when you kind of kick into the gear of Taking it really as a movie on its own terms, that's where those characters start to fall more into line for me. And yeah, I yeah. will go with, I think that Bodhi Rook might be the best Star Wars character. Oh, he's up there. I'm not going to even, I'm not going to even argue with you that much, dude. I think Bodhi is so, I, I love him. I love him so much. H him and the, the Kyber Temple Guardians and Cassian. Cheer it and Baze. Cheer it is the one I remembered. Baze is the one I definitely did not. But Baze Malbus. But in this one, I grow to love these characters. You know, K2 is maybe best boy, best droid in Star Wars. He's up there for me, at least. He is up there, certainly. Okay, R2-D2 is a, a god-tier droid, but like K2. R2 Chomp. Those, I think both of them are pretty Yeah, R2 hard to beat. and Chopper. Right. Yeah. Yes, of course. Love that guy. I wish we you... could see him in more things, you know? 
<laughs> really don't know what you mean about that. Wrapping up fully, I've always really enjoyed this movie. From the first time I saw it when it came out, I I thankfully went into it with very little expectations when it first came out. And I, ever since then, I just think that the smaller scale of story and the, the characters that we get to know ever so briefly i'm very happy that andor is coming around here i'm I'm yeah more pumped than ever for andor because of how much i liked rogue one on my rewatch here but i still think it's probably the best disney era star wars thing to date maybe even better than mando even though i see so much mando in this now in in retrospect seeing like there's definitely influences on on that overarching story but like certainly better than Boba Fett, certainly better than, I would say, probably all three of the the sequel trilogy. I, I don't know. I'm very, I, I love this movie. I think it's, it's, it's a crowning jewel. You're also to the part in Rebels now where they start really connecting all of the, of the Rogue One mm. dots to... Dude, I, I, again, I've never wanted to watch Rebels more than having rewatched Rogue One. Just, it's all the same vibe. I feel like it's just, like, ragtag, real rebel stuff. I feel like nobody, they, they never have the upper hand, you know, they're, they're the underdogs through and through, and that's so endearing. It's very Rebels to me. Yeah, I, I think that is part of the reason. I'm not gonna say it's a good chunk of the reason, but I do think that my... Watching of Rebels between the time that I saw this in the theater and then the first time I rewatched it mm. in a home setting, I think part of my opinion was influenced by watching Rebels and the affinity that I had for Rebels. Not that that much of it connects, to be honest. There are a couple of scenes that are referenced in Rogue One that we then get to see fleshed out in Rebels, because all of Rebels happens before Rogue mm. One. But I agree with you that the vibe is there, and that... So much of the early Rebellion stuff feels so different than when we get into the full-fledged mm. war that we see in the original trilogy. That I think that's another part of the reason that this movie initially felt different to me. It didn't feel like a Star War. And I'm glad that I have been able to break myself of that and really accept this movie on its own terms. I was talking about like Bail Organa and all that, like early churning of the rebellion and, and, and that kind of thing that I, 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 you know, I love to see Bale in rogue one oh, too. I mean, yeah. Amplified. I think, I think his stuff in this is made way better by the stuff we saw in Kenobi. I think that yes, really, dude. Oh yeah. When rogue one first came out in like 2016, the last time we'd seen Bale Organa in live action, at least I don't, he might've shown up in rebels before that at this point. But was episode three, right? Was episode three. And so, and he gets such a grand entrance. And I'm like, okay, movie, I don't know about all that. Like, <laughs> I, lo- I love Jimmy Smith as much as the next guy. I do. But I don't know if he really carries the gravitas. That character doesn't carry the gravitas, I don't think, for most viewers, for the way he's introduced in this movie, and for the kind of, like, little winks he gets in this movie. Mm-hmm. And then Obi-Wan comes along, and I think does a lot to flesh out that character and does a lot to reconnect you with that character in a way that now retroactively makes his scenes in this better. Totally. He he has this line that he he drops right right towards the end right right as his character, you know, his character raps for this movie and I 
with the newer context of, of what's going down, I feel like it, it just hit a lot harder. And like you said, those little winks feel earned. They feel a lot more earned in retrospect, in a re- retroactively earned through the newer stuff. I'm trying to think what else there's to talk about. I like the score a lot by Michael Giacchino, of course. I think i i love the score for rogue one i think the theme the main theme for rogue one is like i he ah it's it's really good i'm it's no john williams i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say anything is better than anything else but that rogue one theme is flaming hot fire garrett i i really do enjoy it (laughs) it's funny you should say that shamus because do you know the origins of the rogue one theme yeah totally you don't need to explain it to me or the or the audience no um, I, I do not know i do not know the origins of the rogue one theme i'm i'm about to star wars nerd on you like, drop so. it on me dude you know i'm gonna do this to the every other next person that even mentions the rogue <laughs> one theme so you're, you're adding a weapon to my arsenal in the scene where obi-wan and luke watch the playback of leia's message in episode four there is a small motif when Leia talks about the Death Star plans that Giacchino took what? and expanded into the entire main suite for Rogue One so that, once again, retroactively, when you watch that scene, what? the Rogue One theme plays just for a moment. That is incredible. I had no idea, and I want to throw on a new hope right now, I guess, because that's, that's like mastercraft right there that's incredible i've always i've always loved that theme since the first time i heard it i thought it like fit perfectly into the into the you know greater world of star wars music but also it is just so you know they hit him with the minors a couple times in the movie they, they really play with that like that motif that you were saying and i i would have never noticed i guess unless you probably could have not told me that and then the next time i watched a new hope i would just have my brain melt but i'm glad i'm glad you let me in on that little piece that's amazing i think that is the greatest power that this movie has even when i didn't really care for it as much is that it really makes you want to watch episode oh yeah dude oh yeah i wanted to do it uh the other day when i finished this movie i want to do it right now just talking about rogue one it's it's very good at that it's the perfect bridge in that gap that you know especially as a little kid like watching episode three and trying to visualize what the like the time and events between that and a new hope were. i mean that's obviously been touched on a lot now we were just talking about that early rebellion stuff but yeah it's so good at doing that even if there was nothing else between episode three and rogue one uh, canonically chronologically rather I I think or it would just be perfect. I, yeah, I guess both too. works. Yeah, I just I just think it would. It's it's just perfect for bridging that gap. I think especially your comparison to episode three is very accurate because episode three tries to get you hyped to watch episode four by trying to force everything yeah. into the episode four starting positions twenty years too early. Yeah, and exactly. It, it doesn't d- work. Doesn't clock. There's like Death Star plans even. And there's the, the, the you know the Lars Homestead and all that. It's just I it's, mean the Lars Homestead makes a little bit more sense, but I, I guess, but like you're saying, they're trying to they're they're attempting to do what Rogue One is perfect at, which is making you double feature a, a, a incredibly new Disney era I mean relatively new Disney era movie and the original back to back and not feeling like there's that much 
transition. It's it's more of a seamless way to do it. it I I think it's very successful at that. This is a movie where the production design I think does a lot of that work, where it's really good at showing you the transition from the world of the prequels to the shiny CG. You know, everything is so mm-hmm. advanced and perfect into the broken down junker feeling of the original trilogy and how the Empire has kind of ruined the galaxy. And I think that's one of my biggest criticisms of Rogue One is I really wish that we had seen some more boots on the ground, seen some more one yeah. of the atrocities that the Empire's committing. Because obviously we see certain mega weapons used throughout this film <laughs> mega but, weapons that shall not be named before but spoilers we, but we don't really see the empire oppressing people that much if anything i think rogue one does more to show you how some factions of the rebellion are dangerous towards everyday people than the actual empire i think that's one of the few places that this movie falls flat for me is that i wish there was a little bit more towards the front end yeah totally to make me feel like this is what we're fighting for because by the end of the film the care i i understand what we're fighting for because the the film has done enough of a good job of showing me what Mm -hmm. the characters are invested in and who they care about and who has made them care about those things it's weird to dance around this pre-spoilers but (laughs) At the beginning of the movie, I want to know why the Empire's so bad that there needs to be a rebellion. And I I understand that part of that is we're supposed to be in Jin's shoes. Jin, who is mm-hmm. apolitical at the beginning of this film. But at the same time, so little Star Wars media has, like, especially mainline Star Wars films, have done very much work to actually show you why the Empire is bad. Mm-hmm. And what the actual oppression under them looks like, which is another reason I'm really excited for Andor. Because I believe everything Cassian says. Diego Luna is an excellent actor in this film. But I think seeing the backstory of the of the things that he's done to fight the Empire and why he has to do those things is going to resonate, again, a lot harder. I think not that our films need to be all bandaging up other films in the franchise... But it does help when you have a big mythos like Star Wars to really bolster mm-hmm. those moments with other pieces of media. Yeah, man. I From what I didn't remember about and Cassian Andor's character in Rogue One since I rewatched it, I am thrilled to see more about uh, pre-him meeting Jin in this movie. I, I am fascinated on how they're going to write him. And the, and the things that he does... And the way that his attitude guides him through the, his role in the rebellion, ah, it's gonna it's gonna be so good. And I think we're out of things to talk about without doing spoilers. I think we're officially. I think so. I think we need now. to go to the to the cool stuff now because I we we were dancing around it. Okay, for, first of all, official spoiler threshold. Occupied Jetta should have been so much more of that vibe going on. I think that was maybe one of the coolest parts of the entire movie, of the entire story. It gave a great opportunity to show not only the the kind of the level of everyday oppression that might be seen by the Empire, but like them having to deal with things like Saw Gerrera and his terrorist group and like their struggling to hold control over even like the regular city itself without having to go about dealing with Saw Gerrera and his group. And I, I, 
I can only hope we're going to, I mean, maybe not more Jetta specifically in Andor, but it's more of that vibe of that part of the movie, you know, very tense. Andor's in the streets, you know, yeah. he's spying on stuff. He's murdering people in cold blood because that's what he does. You know, he I, I want to see more of that. For me, I always think I always think the Jedi se- sequence could have been amplified by not that this movie needs to be longer because it's pretty long, but I wish that there were a sequence where they are on, in Jedi with some kind of not necessarily a member of the rebellion, but a good Samaritan or a person who's trying to do good that is a resident of the city. It could have even been the Guardians of the Wills, right? Mm-hmm. And Overlord style. All of a sudden, there's an Imperial inspection. Oh, God. And we have to see how all of the different characters deal with that. And I feel like having that one-up... Because we see nameless characters getting, you know, harassed in the background. Mm -hmm. But having some kind of connection to a character that then is directly oppressed by the Empire would have been a lot more interesting to me. Then, like, because we see Jin in prison at the beginning. I was gonna or say, whatever, but like but... that, that's after a wild time jump that I always wish they fleshed out a little more. You know, I, yeah. she's, she's plopped into Imperial prison and broken out of Imperial prison in thirty seconds, and we don't know why she's in prison. Really, like they tell us that she's got a criminal record, you know, but we don't really understand. What, like, did she do something that was good and then the Empire locked her up? You know, and not to put things too much into the good and bad binary, but just this idea of, I want to see why the Empire is oppressive to a character that I feel more invested in. I would have loved to have seen that. I mean, they could have done that beautifully with Bodhi. In his, they could have shown his defection. That's directly they could have, where I was going. There you That's go. Our, two, two, two brains, or one brain, two people. Where, where, yeah, you get it, you get it. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Because Bodhi, to me, is all about the performance. That, that could have been a pretty nothing character, to be honest. And at my first watch, it was. Mm. But seeing Riz Ahmed come into that role and really act it with a subtlety and meekness that isn't usually allowed in the famously overacted Star Wars films. (laughs) Yeah. Where he does kind of get stepped on a little bit by the characters who have more of a hook, right? Because the Guardians of the Wills are obviously these bizarre monk warrior archetypes, and Cassian is the is the dastardly but heart of gold spy who believes in the cause, but what has he lost to it? And K2SO is the funny comic relief. Like, they've all got their thing, and then Bodhi's just kind of there. And I mean, he, he's the McGovern for a minute, and then they kind of drop that exactly. fairly, fairly fast when they when they meet up with Saw Gerrera. And you can feel how guilty he feels. He wants so badly that little monologue where he says like galen told me oh, that there was yeah. a way to make it right how badly there... i wanted to see the scene between him and mads mickelson together because that I, even hearing him retell that story in character i was like oh man i feel i feel this man it's like the energy radiating from that one sentiment like touching everyone in the rogue one team yeah so that's what I want to know. I want to know what what has he seen and what has he helped with that was so horrific that, like, is it just the Death Star? It doesn't even have to be something super secret and cool. It could just be realizing you're on the wrong side by 
the seeing the atrocities committed on an everyday level, but I wish that we'd gotten that backstory because that character resonates with me so much that I know if we'd heard it from him, it would have mattered more to me. Yeah. That, yeah. Like, if we'd gotten, like, a Quint-style, another movie I just saw in IMAX, <laughs> uh, monologue from him about the, the atrocities that he saw. Like, thousand-yard stare into yeah. the distance, what he's seen as a cargo, just out of the windshield of his cargo ship with the atrocities of the Empire and how he's a <sighs> accomplice to it all and all that. And, yeah, that would be haunting. I mean, it's already the idea that he's, like, just this, you know, jittery little guy who's doing everything he can in spite of like his own li- his own safety in life to make things right it's already like a very compelling honest feeling thing cuz we we see so many faceless stormtrooper robot like they were just following orders blah 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 and this guy was just like finally it was it's like if you know Finn from the sequels had anything to do that I- kind of idea I think that when they were doing Rise of Skywalker, they should have paid more attention to Bodhi. Yep, is my I big think so. takeaway from <laughs> yes. that. Yeah, I, I mentioned that when I wrote up my little letterbox blurb last ah. time I watched this movie. So it is frustrating that that character can be so special. And clearly the, the point of that character was missed on the saga as a whole, I think. And mm-hmm. But in this movie, he works so well and... Spoil it's we're we're starting to get into it I guess but like oh we're we're well into it oh yeah oh god is so moving because that's right after he says that this is for you Galen thing which is that's like the moment where you can tell that he feels like he has actually finally come through and done the right thing and the thing that Galen told him at the beginning of the movie that he can make things right that he can try to right the wrongs of the empire that he helped perpetrate you know when he gets that uplink and then he blows up oh dude that that thermal imploder thing that gets just chucked into his ship is so because also i i have such vivid memories of the battle of scarif the first time i saw it in theaters and how they start that by going all right Bodhi, you're our way out of here don't go anywhere, and me being like, of course, of course Bodhi's the way out of here. There's no way they're leaving without Bodhi, and I guess I was right, <laughs> in, a, in a way. <laughs> that, that's exactly right, yeah. <laughs> but, like, that grenade toss into his ship, and my, I guess it, I wasn't a little kid at the time, my teenage brain going like, oh yeah, just grab it and chuck it back, like, you know, the, the Call of Duty style, and just watching him engulf in flames was so heartbreaking. And it's heartbreaking every time now just for for everything that you're saying about this character as as the short-lived, incredible character that he was. I'll, I'll never forget it. And I actually, when I saw it in IMAX, I almost cried. I am not kidding. Dude, I don't blame you. No joke that it's, it's so sad. It's... I mean, it's sad, it's moving, it, it's important that it happens, obviously, in the way that it does, I guess. And the short amount of time that they spend in the climax, in the Battle of Scarif, where he's trying to get the radio um- uplink to the, like, Mon Calamari spaceship commander up there. I forget that commander's name. It's Admiral not... Radis. Radis, excuse me, thank you. Like you were saying, that accomplishment, it, it was all boiled down to, can I plug one wire into another wire for for the thing that I know is important and right for others. And he gets to do that, and then he gets absolutely destroyed. And it is just, ah. I mean, we have very briefly touched on our Guardian Pals, but another 
really I'm in the same like ten minutes even the Guardian's death and Bodhi's death. On... They all happened right together. Yeah. Yeah. Donnie Yen. God bless him? Question mark. I'm gonna well, leave it at that. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I love his character <laughs> in this movie. You know what? I love all of the characters that Donnie Yen plays. How about that? I'll. You know what? I will <laughs> let you have it. I cannot think I, of a character you... to object with the guy from Triple uh, X. Hey, no, he's Age? great. He, he he makes that movie. I, um, you can't deny, regardless of Donnie Yen's political opinions, his hands are really fast, okay? <laughs> you cannot take that away from me. You cannot take that away from Donnie Yen. Um, and in this movie, too, his hands are he's fast. He's really awesome. Funny he's so movie. funny. Yes. Uh, how do you say his name again? It's Chirrut. Chirrut Mway. Chirrut Mway. He is the best. I wish Bayes and him had a little bit more backstory. Me similar too. to Bodhi. Yeah. Because I love the relationship that those characters have and what they go through together over the course of this movie. And because the thing that the thing that sucks for me, and I think the reason I'm glad that Andor is half-headache, is because of all the main characters, the ones that I am the least impacted by when they die are the two main characters. Yeah, Jin and Cassian, Jin and Cassian on the beach. I don't care, really, to be I honest. Feel, I feel more heartbroken when K2 goes out, yeah. you know? Like, that's really messed up it's sad his final like his smashing down on the door controls mm-hmm. as he's just like getting blasted oh, and makes, telling makes them sense. that there's still time to get out and that they yes. have to climb oh. saving them it, only not only through his physical action but by telling them what they have to do to survive yeah to this day we'll we'll get a little misty watching k2 go down like that yeah it's really moving and it, again, th- like I love the interplay between him and Jin. I think that's mm-hmm. a really strong oh, yes. arc that they go through. That's kind of played in the background and kind of played for laughs. But I think it it shows the arc that both of those characters go on really succinctly. And I think a thing that is really well written overall about this film is that every single one of the Rogue One members they take really good care to ensure. That if any one of them was not on that mission, it, yeah. that would not have happened. Critical like, failure. Every single one of them had to be there. God, they're so vital. Garrett, they're mm. so vital. Oh, it makes me sad that they only got the one movie because, I mean, we kind of mentioned it before. The entirety of the entirety of Scarif blows up, or do they just blow up that spot? No, it's it's a it's a one reactor. Yeah, it's a it's a blast, like like the Jetta explosion. The only way that they could have the Death Star do stuff in this movie without retconning <laughs> episode four is by when Tarkin goes, finally the full capability of this battle station will be seen. Like, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they're just have... getting little baby bits. Even though the yeah. little baby bits but in this movie also are that... so good, so destructive and terrifying yeah. to see from the ground. So let's talk Tarkin because. Let, t- welcome back to Tarkin Talk, the <laughs> weekly Rogue One recap. Uh, I would have. I love Tarkin. I think he's a fascinating <laughs> character. Um, oh, me too. He's so intimidating. And there is, I love the tiny little glimpses, because he's only in one movie before this, which is insane to think about. Well, actually, that's technically not true. He's in Revenge of the Sith for like a second. I guess. I guess. Um, with those awful <laughs> cheekbone prosthetics <laughs> yeah. that look so bad. Oh, it looks so weird. It looks it weirder looks like than... like a Dick Tracy villain. Yes, that's exactly what it looks like. And... I love the stuff they've done with him in the books. I have uh, 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 the book 
called Tarkin that he's also got a great chapter in from a certain point of view if you've gotten there yet. Haven't even opened it, Garrett. I'm very cool. sorry about that. That's so awesome. sorry. I, uh, I I think about it every day, though. <laughs> I don't know if that makes it better or worse that I'm just thinking about it. but And I think the stuff that he is doing in this movie is really good and really in line with that character. And I really wish that they just would have had Charles Dance do that character yeah, and dude. not this <laughs> CGI that I know they talked to was a state or whatever. I don't care. It's awful. And it laid the groundwork for all of the awful things that have come since then. Because, like, frankly, I mean, Luke looks better than him. Yeah. But also... Sure, I guess. But also, I do think this character has more life in it than that Luke does. Like, Luke looks more lifelike, but he is he moves sure. like a robot yeah whereas this feels like rubbery and weird in like a polar express character but <laughs> yeah. at least there's emotion in it and i'm like why because charles dance if anybody at home doesn't know is tywin lannister from game of thrones he is also on the crown and i think most importantly to me personally he is the that's not true but he <laughs> is the bad guy from john mctiernan's action classic last action hero holy um, crap i did not remember he was the villain of last action hero that's awesome i've been meaning to rewatch that but he's got the voice he's got the cheekbones oh he's he, got the height he's got he, the whole package he could have i mean sure whatever don't talk to peter cushing to state again or whatever but like he would have been so good like this luke stuff i don't get it at all the thou leia in this movie fine I'm cool with it. Yeah. Because it's one, one shot, shot and they one got... sentence or like one word even. Yeah, just, one word. It's just hope. One word. And Carrie Fisher was alive to say, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> like, do it. Yeah. It, um and far like, was fewer involved. problems with that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as opposed to and I don't have a problem with what they did in Rise of Skywalker. I thought it was actually very respectful and one of the better parts of that movie. But yeah. this she's not a main character in the film. Tarkin is is yeah he he is like the emperor to tarkin's darth vader and if it were another story because tarkin needs to be in this story this much if anything yeah. i think he could have been in it more i think i would love i think this movie could have taken any number of directions and fleshed out like the, this is a movie that i'm glad is a movie but frankly could be a trilogy of movies i um, absolutely was thinking the exact same thing on that um because there's so much to explore yes. with these characters and they've been explored really well in comics and books and video games and all the and other we're things. We're getting the show. But, I mean, yeah, we're getting the show. God, God bless us. And I feel like if Tarkin were in this less and if he it were just like him if you had him on a hologram and then in one scene he shows up and he's like creepy CGI Tarkin, sure. Yeah. Fine. Straight I up. still hate it, but fine. I'll give it to you. Kind of like Luke and Boba Fett or not Boba Fett, not, not specifically not Boba Fett. Mandalorian season 2 where it's like He's there to just kind of stand there for a minute and then leave. Yeah, sure. yeah, exactly. But if we're going to spend any amount of time with this character and have to invest ourselves for any amount of time in this character, like on Boba Fett, it makes more sense to have a real actor because you can't replace real actors. You just can't do it. They're going to keep trying, Garrett. They're going to try until the cows come home and the <sighs> cows are going to be CGI and have been dead for 20 years. But I mean, <laughs> hey, man, they're going to... They're gonna keep it up until we like, I guess, boycott things. We, it's weird to say that we shouldn't zombify actors with CGI. And we should yeah. just find good, re- you know, recasts. But from from what I hear about the D twenty three footage from Indiana Jones, it'll be very interesting to see oh, what happens there. Oh God! But 
in this movie, it's ghoulish and weird, and I don't like it, and it takes away from a movie I otherwise am pretty much all about. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. But I think now we talk about Vader. I think... I think we, we have to. Because I go back and forth a lot on this, and I'm really curious to get your thoughts. We have to have talked about this before, but I don't remember ever actually talking about <laughs> this with you well, before. Well, th- this is on the record now. We're going we're gonna to have it on, on the books here, because I... <laughs> I mean, my, I like, I like Vader in this movie. I think yeah. Vader is more intimidating on screen than he had ever been before that point. I think I his helmet. I give you a big Star Wars Rebels asterisk. Ah, uh, okay. Live action. Excuse me. Live action. I think his helmet looks weird where it meets his cloak. Am I alone on that? You know why that is. I don't. Apparently. Oh God. Because it's the original Darth Vader suit, or not the it's not literally the original Darth Vader suit, but they oh, went back the original to design. Okay, the original design to what it looks like in it's pretty much a, they did change some things. I don't know enough about costume design to actually tell you what it was, <laughs> but like they basically made a replica of his suit from A New Hope, red lenses and all, and. I agree that some of it, it because Star Wars was cheap. No, you're, I'm. It I'm looks a little cheap. Words. Yes, I'm eating my words a little bit, knowing that that adds to the gap that it helps bridge. And but here's the thing, though. Like episode three, not that I'm defending this choice. Episode three, they didn't do that. They episode did three not is do just that. Like, it's the classic Empire it's Strikes Back, Darth prime Vader, Darth Vader perfect. armor. Yeah. I mean, again, there are changes I don't know enough about. Don't comment about how they're actually not the same thing or no do care. comment um, please engage <laughs> like comment subscribe hit the bell icon you get it i mean the red lenses i think are a master touch that's oh, perfect totally I, I appreciate that every time i rewatch rogue one but yeah i agree that it's like if you're gonna have darth vader in live action in you know the way that movies look now you gotta have some of it look a little better, I yeah. think. And but I don't think for the most part that's really an issue. I the the biggest moment that that's noticeable for me is actually his last shot of the movie where he's standing oh, in um, the in the in the doorway of the of the Tante V four yeah. as it jettisons away from the capital ship. And I think that's such a cool pose for him to be in, and then you look at his neck, and it's just like, ooh, that doesn't look good. <laughs> like though. that's not that's not airtight, man. I don't. That's why you're breathing weird. It's not working. That's another thing I love about this movie is that it shows him breathing in, like essentially in that scene, he's breathing in space, which is the entire impetus for the Darth Vader mask originally. Yeah, Ralph right? McQuarrie was like, if this guy's gonna be going between spaceships all the time, he needs a he needs a cool mask to wear. And, and yeah, that that totally that comes through here, man. But I mean, I'll, I'll forgive the helmet for obviously knowing what I know now. And I I love people are divisive on this. I love the Vader pun, man. Don't I choke also on your aspirations. Yes, dude. Don't I also love it. Choke it shows on his personality. That, that's that little bit of Anakin snarky stuff coming through the through the helmet there. That that is so funny. Considering just the way he turns around with his hand clenched in uh-huh. his force joke position is so it's so good. Cause Vader's funny. That's a thing in the originals in Empire when he's talking to Admiral Ozel and he's like force choking him out because Ozel did something stupid and then he's like, "Hey, General Piet, 
So just so we're clear, <laughs> you're going to need to take over for whatever Ozil was already doing. Yeah, that is uh, funny. Beca- because, like, this just isn't working out. And then Ozil falls to the floor dead, and he goes, I know you've got this, Admiral Piet. And it's like, done, done, <laughs> done. And He's I think playing that, with that's dudes, man. so funny. That That is absolutely in the vein of don't choke on your aspirations, director. Exactly. It's right, right up there with it. I think it's great. The thing I really go back and forth on, which is the thing that everybody loves from this movie, is, is the hallway. The hallway. Interesting, because I'm a big fan of the hallway, Garrett. I'm a big fan of the hallway. People, I, I, it's, it's a, it's a moral thing for me. Is that people defend it at, because that was added during reshoots? But at the same time, this third act is a banger, so I don't really want to like. You know, it seems like it was a good thing. You know, I know people like to knock reshoots, but often they really add to a film. Because you're going back and finding I mean, what the, was missing. The finished product here is is great, so I, I, I have nothing against those reshoots. So the only reason I bring up the, the fact that it was a reshoot is because I it does slightly alleviate my criticism of it, is people like to say that that is, you know, it's showing how scary Darth Vader is, and it's a horror scene. And I'm like, if it were a horror scene, if you actually wanted to be scared of Darth Vader and not revel in how badass Darth Vader is... Somebody we cared about would be at the other end of that hallway. That's fair. I also really like to just revel in how badass it is, if I'm being honest. <laughs> like, I'm not going to say that that's the wrong take to have, because, you, you know, he he doesn't get much saber play in the original trilogy to the extent of, like, like flying through a battalion of rebels or whatever. I, I It shows that the skills that Anakin had wielding his lightsaber don't just get lost and turn into stiff you know, episode four lightsaber fighting for, you know, for whatever reason. he It's the fluidity of how he can still just walk his way through a hallway of people shooting at him and make it to the other side. On the other hand, and I'm only being this guy. Lay it you know on I'm me, boy. Being, lay it on me. You know I'm only being this guy because this is the interior ethos of the entire Star Wars saga mm. is violence. Like, lightsaber fights are cool. Because they're cool. Because sword fighting's cool. Like, there's no way around it. (laughs) Um, But violence, like, especially one-sided violence in Star Wars, is not cool. It's not good. It's not glorious. Any other time we see a person just eviscerate people with a lightsaber, it's not a good thing. Like, Like, even when Anakin does it before he's Vader. It's supposed sure. to be oh, yeah. taken as a like a really bad thing, and I do, and I'm not saying that we can't enjoy it at the same time, but I just feel like this the tone of that scene is just a little bit too. Isn't this cool? Do we do we or, have a little bit of a church scene from the Kingsman going on here, Star Wars style? It's just it, a little it, dissonant in tone enough to make it feel uncomfortable with the violence. I think that's actually a pretty good comparison, except I think the the. Kingswood Church seems way more egregious. I have oh, way oh, less yeah, of oh, a yeah. problem with this. Because I don't have really... Again, it's not like... I said it was a moral objection before. It's not really... To me, it's not like... I'm not offended by the hallway scene from that... From Rogue One. That would be stupid. But I do think it's just a little bit inconsistent with the values that Star Wars usually imposes mm, on its mm. stories. I'm looking at it in the vacuum of what Rogue One represents. Of this this band of people that were... More or less, their existence is boiled down to the fact that R2-D2 can can get this message out in the original movie. That's their entire and, existence. 
in did the grand this movie, scheme. And were this movie not a prequel to a movie that came out 40 years prior to it, <laughs> I would concede that fact. Because if you take it, if you've only ever seen Rogue One, which is an insane way to start this series. Yeah, that'd be wild. You're right. Every, In a way, every character from Rogue One is at the end of that hallway. Because everything yeah. they died yeah. for is at the end of that hallway. But here's the thing. Every single person sitting in the audience knows that those Death Star plans yeah. will be fine. You're you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I, I guess it depends on whether or not I'm trying to to scope out the rest of things. But as the as the period on the end of the sentence of Rogue One being that violent push into what A New Hope is, I can still I still can get behind it. I, I hear what you're saying that it, it sh- for the people that are like ooh scary, it should be a person. It, it just just some named character yeah. who we have seen before in the movie. Yeah, I can agree with that. I can agree with that. So I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to talk anybody out of enjoying that scene. I just, I have certain problems with it. I think I've said everything I need to to say about this movie for now. I mean, you know, God bless, I said his name a thousand times in this episode so far. We didn't even Krennic. talk about him. Nope. Ben Mendelsohn. Nope. Mads Mikkelsen. Nope. Ben Mendelsohn, Mads Mikkelsen. Cheer it in way. <laughs> no, dog. Uh, save the dream. Oh, Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, He's Forrest so Whitaker. <laughs> I really is... like Saw Gerrera in this, oh. just as a final point. I, I thought all all of that stuff was great. I wish he did more. He's doing great. I, I'm into it. I hope we see him in uh, Jedi Survivor. I Me think that'd too. be fun. Yeah. I think that would be wonderful. Although there's a time jump in Survivor, but I don't think it's going to be New Hope time yet. So I think, yeah, yeah we we'll can see, see him in we'll Survivor. See. Last thing I want to bring up because we literally haven't talked about them <laughs> at all. Death Troopers, they're rad. Oh, awesome. Um, love the voice, love the gun. Yeah, I love. I want to know, are they weird cyborg things? Maybe. I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe. Could be. But they I kind of mean... seem like they are, but then in Rebels, they just talk like normal men. But I also, Rebels shouldn't override <laughs> this. So. Oh, crap. I also forgot Chopper's in this movie. Yeah, huh? that's we crazy. we about that earlier. And the ghost. Did you catch the ghost? I didn't catch the ghost. I did. Oh, when the fleet pulls in, it's parked at Yavin. I don't. I don't oh, know if it sh- might yeah, be what? in the fleet. It might be in the fleet, but it's and, parked at Yavin. And the only other thing that I never noticed until this this recent watch was uh, General Sindula report to the re- mission report room. General Sindula, and it's like, oh, I know that name. All right. G- guess guess you know at least one person who's making it out of the rebels. Yeah, hell yeah. But what say you? We move on to the pop culture reference this week i really had to think about it real hard for that one an incredibly jarring transition (laughs) but that's also but it's also more connected than you might think for today's pop culture reference we're going to be talking about the french new wave the french new wave was an influential art film movement that emerged in 1950s france it rejected many conventions of editing cinematography and narrative often focusing on political and existential topics the main symbols of the movement were critics writing for the film publication Cahiers du Cinema, who celebrated the Italian neorealism movement of the early 1940s, and American auteurs like Hitchcock and Orson Welles. These critics, like Jean-Luc Godard, Francois Truffaut, and Eric Romer, took these philosophies and began making their own films. Another contingent in the New Wave were known as the Left Bank Filmmakers. Named for their leftist politics, these filmmakers were less influenced by films and more by other art forms such as literature and theater. The left bank included filmmakers such as Jacques Demy and Agnes Varda. Despite the fact that Varda's unreleased Le Pont Courte 
was chronologically first, followed by Claude Chabrol's Le Bosserge, the movement is regarded to have kicked off in earnest with Truffaut's The 400 Blows in 1959, followed by Godard's Breathless in 1960, which both garnered critical and financial success across the globe. The jarring jump cuts and discontinuous editing, meandering grounded narratives, and moral and literal ambiguity was revolutionary for the time, with many critics and audiences objecting to these developments. Ultimately, the French New Wave is regarded as one of the most important movements in the history of cinema. It was a rough contemporary of the British and Japanese New Waves, and helped ignite the Hong Kong New Wave, New Hollywood, and New German cinema movements that gained traction in the 1970s. The influence of the French New Wave is still found in contemporary independent films, especially genres like slow cinema and mumblecore. Despite most of the French New Wave filmmakers having passed away, most recently Jean-Luc Godard, many of them continued to make work into the 21st century, notably Godard and Varda. There are also still many filmmakers from similar movements still working, such as Peter Weir and George Miller from the Australian New Wave, John Wu and Wong Kar Wai from the Hong Kong New Wave, Wim Wenders and Werner Herzog from the New German Cinema Movement, and filmmakers like Brian De Palma, Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, Walter Hill, and Francis Ford Coppola from the New Hollywood Movement. I know that for me the French New Wave was really one of the first things that got me into film history, international films, like cinema with a capital C, you know. Mm. Oh, yeah. In high school, those were super important filmmakers to me, and specifically Truffaut was somebody who... Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, just, like, moved me tr a tremendous amount. Like, I've always seen him as the humanist, if Godard is the theorist, right? I know that it's kind of basic, but Truffaut to me is really the one that's probably my favorite filmmaker from the movement. Do you have any specific filmmakers that you have a shout out for or that you I mean, particularly? I mean, I hate to just agree with you, but Truffaut is so, so damn good. And I, I couldn't, you know, Jean-Luc Godard, God bless him, still incredible films. And honestly, Cleo from, what is it? It's five, five to seven, right? Five, five to, to nine? seven. One of the best films I've ever seen, and that's Agnes Varda. She, incredible, incredible work there, too. I, it's hard to narrow down because it's so fun to jump around between everyone and, and kind of get your hands on everything. But I don't know. I, I, Jules at Jim, Jules and Jim, I, my, I don't remember how old I was at the time having seen that, but it was such a strangely complex kind of story for me to digest, and I, I still think about it a lot to this day with, with Truffaut. I think it's fa fantastic. I have to have told you this before. You know I saw Varda before she died at the University what? of Chicago. What? Just, like, walking around? What do you no. mean? <laughs> so she, in, this must have been in 2016, I think, she had a brief residency at the University of Chicago, and she did a residency. lot of screenings and talks around the city. She went to Gene Siskel. She did a screening of Cleo 5 to 7 at the Music Ooh. Box. Oh, my God. I um, wish I was more aware at the time. But my mom found that she was doing a free lecture uh, and screening. They were screening Beaches of Agnes at mm. the, like, University of... I, I'm, it, there's no way it wasn't the University of Chicago Cinema, but it also might have been Northwestern, and I'm just stupid. Um, that was a long time ago. But... It was in the city, it was one of the colleges in the city, and uh, so my friend Alex and I went, and 
they screened the film and they brought her in and there were probably two dozen people there. What? Really? And it was so like nobody was asking questions. Dude. And I was stupid and like 17 and I didn't ask a question because I'm a moron. Because you were like, oh, no one else is talking. I'm no, gonna, it's it gonna be the, weird. It wasn't even like that. I just think I wasn't smart enough to actually S- have something to ask the opportunity her. like that. Yeah, I, 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 I like, suppose that's fair. Because I didn't want to be like, I don't think I, if I'm being honest, I don't think I wanted to ask a dumb question. And also, that's she o- was. That's okay. She was sick that night. She had a cold. And so she, Aww. the Q&A wasn't very long anyway, but. I I found it t- it's still one of the best conversations on cinema I've ever seen in my life and it blew me away to learn that when she made her first film she estimates that she had only seen 8 films ever in her life. Wow. That is just natural insane phenomenal skill. That's insane. God God bless her. That I'm entirely jealous that you got to have that experience whether or not you asked a question or not. That is that is incredible. Yeah, and I mean, you shouted her out as one of your favorite artists from the movement. I think whether or not I'd had that experience, she would certainly be one of mine oh, as sh- well. Surely, surely. And and she, her work, even though I think that it was in the spirit of the new wave up until she died, certainly transcends that movement. And in, in a way, Godard's does as well, especially because they both got to work for so much longer. Like... I think Truffaut died in, like, 1990, I think maybe even earlier than that. Something and like that. Demi died a really long time ago, Varda's husband, who, is, I mean, he's also, Umbrellas of Cherbourg is I don't know incredible. If I, I don't know if I've seen that one. I think that, Ooh, that's on Seamus, the list. We better get on that. Yes, because that's, dude, yes, that dude. one's incredible. But before we get too far deeper into planning our spinoff shows, what do you say we kick it on over to Save the Rec Center? Let's save it. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we give you our weekly recommendations. Garrett, what do you got this week? We just got finished talking about 50s French cinema, and now I'm going to talk about early 50s American cinema. Seamus, because I recently came across a film that... I've wanted to see for a long while, and I've just never gotten around to. I checked it out from the library. It is on Criterion. Billy Wilder's 1951 Ace in the Hole. I've never even heard of it. It's Kirk Douglas. Oh. And I am kind of in shock that... I understand why it didn't do well when it came out, but I'm very surprised that it hasn't had some kind of massive reappraisal that has brought it more into the common space. Because obviously, if something's on Criterion, it has a certain amount of talk. Sure, it's got some film clout, yeah. Yeah, but, and obviously it's Billy Wilder. How can you not love him? He's he's fresh off Sunset Boulevard. I'm gonna hit you with a hot take. I think this movie is better than Sunset Boulevard. Wow, I really like Sunset Boulevard, so I think I I gotta watch this. It is... Really, despite the fact that it's set mostly during the daytime, it's set in rural America. Uh, there's no neon. There's no hard-boiled detective. Mm. But it's a film noir, this movie. It's about a guy who is this ace reporter, and he's on his way, this ace reporter, but the thing is that he's d- down on his luck. He keeps getting fired from all the newspaper he's at, and 
he's working for this podunk newspaper in Albuquerque. He's on his way to cover something he doesn't want to cover, but he stumbles across a guy that's trapped in a cave. And he says, this is my Pulitzer. So he stokes a media frenzy around this cave-in with him as its ringleader at the very center of it. And, you know, it's honestly pretty great double feature with Nope, uh, the main segment from a couple weeks ago. I didn't double feature it, but I think it would be because it's all about what we'll go through for fame and media attention and the exploitation of others for our own gain and the manipulation of truth. And that's it fascinating. Is so pessimistic about <laughs> humanity as a whole, which I'm sure is why it absolutely bombed in 51. Oh Just yeah. Tanked. But it's aged so well for today, I'm sure. It's as relevant, if not more relevant Ooh. now than it was when it was made. I and love it. I was really blown away by it. Obviously, Billy Wilder is one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. He either makes the best comedy you've ever seen or super pessimistic, (laughs) sad, black and white movies about how the world's gone to hell. And this is the second one, but he's really good at doing that. So if you like Sunset Boulevard, I think it's got a lot of similarities thematically and tonally that you would like this one just as much. I'm in, dude. I I will I will look for it on the Criterion channel cuz you you've sold me on it. That sounds really cool. I'm glad to hear it. But what do you have, Seamus? Martin Scorsese's Alfred Hitchcock's Key to Reserva, which is a short film that you showed me and our boy Fritz last weekend that it's like half documentary, half recreation of Martin Scorsese finding these lost manuscript pages that Alfred Hitchcock had written at some point that were just, like, lost to history. They're not in, like, there's a few pages in order, and, and the page of the end, it's it's not a full story, and it's just, a like, a 15-minute short of Martin Scorsese fully producing these three pages as close to what Alfred Hitchcock would do at the time, if, if he had gotten the chance. And it's just really weird and absolutely Alfred Hitchcock charming when you get into the recreation, the, the actual shooting of the script. And it's just really funny to see Martin Scorsese just kind of do his Martin Scorsese thing in the archives, like making jokes, doing whatever. And he it's just... It's it's half just funny and fascinating and half just like absolutely the, the respect I guess is what I'm trying to get at the respect that you see paid to these pages that would have otherwise been lost forever are, are it's it just really feels right that these were not just you know balled up as garbage as they very well could have been if somebody you know, found them without realizing what they are. I, I thank you, Garrett, very much for showing me it because it's it's really fascinating. And I'm probably going to show that around to a couple more people because it's show, so, so short and concise with what it is that it's just like a, it's a perfect little short doc film, whatever you want to call it. it it's, it's very fun and I highly recommend it. And I actually don't know where to find it. So Garrett, you could probably help me out with that. Uh, the way we watched it was on Vimeo. Just search up Key to Reserva. It'll oh, come perfect. right up. Martin Scorsese's Key to Reserva, or a film by Martin Scorsese or something like that. Key to R-E-S-E-R-V-A, Reserva. 
Also, Seamus, do you want me to to blow your mind right now? Yes, you know I do, Garrett. The key to reserve a manuscript is absolutely fake. That is just not real at all. Alright. Okay. <laughs> I see you, Garrett Strother. You're you're duping your good friends. How, I I don't I I th- I think you you have something to take up with Martin Scorsese before you have anything to take up with okay, me. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I still I think that maybe even makes this little short funnier and in, in, in a lot of different ways. Oh, but it, I think it makes it way that, funnier. That's very that's very good. But I the the earnesty in in all of it, it still clocks to me for some reason. I think everything you said is still absolutely true. Oh yeah, because the respect he's paying to Hitchcock is real, and the fact that. Scorsese is able to craft a, a film that is so seamlessly Hitchcock that oh, there, really there's is. no doubt in your mind for a second that that's real. That's the power of the movies, that's baby. That's why Scorsese is one of the greats. Honestly, incredible. That is so good. That is that is a stamp of approval from fooling the hell out of me. And honestly, probably a lot of people. I feel like I'm probably not the first person to get get tricked by that kind of thing. I I think that's fantastic. And Vimeo, it's on Vimeo. It's at all access. Everybody should go watch it. It's it's so short too. It's it's worth it's the ten minutes. Yeah. Ten minutes. It's worth the ten minutes for sure. But I think that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can find us on TikTok, Twitter and Instagram at PCR underscore podcast. Email us your scalding anger about me <laughs> lying to Seamus about Key of Reserva <laughs> to popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. As Seamus said earlier in the show, comment about all of the, I don't remember what it was that I was afraid of getting comments about, but do that. I Ignore me, listen to Seamus. <laughs> uh, engage with us, subscribe, hit the bell icon, join the notification squad, as they like to say. <laughs> oh, you... Oh. Smash that like button. Smash that like button. Any kind of engagement you can show really helps us out here at the podcast. Finally, uh, next week, we will be talking about the three-episode series premiere of Andor, which I am in complete agreement with you, Seamus. I have never been more excited for. Yes, 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 yes. I have even blocked off. I think I saw the first trailer. I've not seen anything else. I didn't see the new one that they did over the week, and I don't think I need to. The only thing I've seen is whatever they showed before Rogue One. So oh, tight. Okay, awesome. We're going. In, yeah. We're going in pretty cold. I love it. I I am pretty excited about that as well. But I think we'll see you next week, everybody, to talk about Andor. Save the audios. Save the amigos. <laughs> <laughs>